You're listening to a Sin podcast. You can listen to this show live by tuning your radio to 90.7 or online at sin.org.au. We at Represent would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the land on which Sin operates, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sin Media respectfully acknowledges the ancestors and elders, past, present and emerging. We would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches. Sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Kids should go to school. That's what we're committed to. I haven't flip flopped. I said no originally, then I said yes, then I have said no and I've stuck to it. I didn't need to do this. I've already done a lot of war for the election. The English fought a civil war over this this matter. Don't deal with the nuance of the Canberra bubble. What we want is more learning in schools and less activism in schools. Issues that perhaps may be controversial today, but 30 years from now, your children, your grandchildren are going to be thankful that you stood up for what was right. Represent. 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 You're listening to Represent. Welcome to Represent. My name is Bridie and I'm here with Naya today, our newest volunteer who I'm super excited to have on the show. And we are SIN's flagship political discussion program. So today we are going to be chatting about a few things that have happened in the last week. Notably, it's been a year since the first invasion of Ukraine. Well, not the first actually, in fact, but the most significant part of the <laughs> war in Ukraine. Um, We're going to be chatting about the New South Wales state election, which is coming up quite soon, I believe. And we're going to be chatting about what happened at Mardi Gras on the weekend um, with Lydia Thorpe lying down in front of a float, which is quite controversial. Welcome back to Represent. That was um, Lost something by Got Street Park and Charlotte Dos Santos. I actually can't see the full name of the song on the screen, (laughs) which is not a great way to start. Anyway, we are going to chat about Ukraine. So it's been a year since the initial invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which has contravened a whole bunch of international laws, including the UN Charter. So going back in time a little bit, it's actually not the first invasion of um, Ukraine by Russia. Now, this is coming back from my 2021 memory from global politics but um, I believe in 2014 Russia also started trying to annex some areas of eastern Ukraine 2014? Yeah it's been a long time (laughs) it's been a long time so um, you know this isn't a one off thing it's definitely kind of been repeated over and over and those conflicts became quite frozen because they're you know, he held referendums, as he's doing at the moment, in the areas that he'd tried to annex. And um, they allegedly passed with 90% support, but then someone didn't audit, and then it turned out it was still, like, 55% support. So technically it did pass. It was all a bit complicated and, you know, back in the dredges of my memory. But the point is, 
this isn't the first time Russia has invaded Ukraine. And I'm getting to this because of the frozen nature of that conflict between 2014 and 2022. There wasn't much movement at all in the kind of battle fronts. There wasn't very much active conflict. It was just these are disputed territories. And I'm wondering, the question I will reach in a bit, is whether that's going to be what this war might end up being, you know, at the moment, it kind of feels like things have frozen a bit, um, not just in Russia and Ukraine, but also a little bit in the global community, maybe a bit less so now that we've just had the one-year anniversary. Anniversary is definitely the wrong word, <laughs> but commemoration. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's an interesting thing to think about. But we've seen tens of thousands of deaths from both sides, um, including civilians, which um, there have been a few reports by different global authorities, such as the UN, the UNHRC, things like that, um, that may allege war crimes, you know, killing yes, the civilians yes, unprovoked. Yeah, which is just not great. No, no. <laughs> yeah, and also the exile, whether that's voluntary or not, of 5 million people from Ukraine and Russia also. So Ukraine induce, introduced a law where men of working age or of fighting age could... They weren't allowed to leave the country, so there were a lot of women and children who fled but had to leave their husbands, partners, dads, you know, etc. back in Ukraine, which would be really tough. Yeah, it rings, rings quite tragically of some other wars that we've had over the years. Yeah, definitely. And so we had sanctions imposed by the global community kind of very early on. We had a few stages or tranches of sanctions. Sanctions? Sanctions is not a word, I don't think. Um, but the question is, have they had that much effect? They haven't really stopped Russia from functioning. They haven't stopped them from continuing to fight. And they've still been able to, you know, obtain the materials that they need to fight this war, however that may be, um, which I think is quite interesting because a lot of the sanctions were on Russian billionaires and people who had become really wealthy who were Russian and who were supporting the government. It feels like they haven't really lost that much support. No, it doesn't feel as though suddenly we saw things are things are slowing. Exactly. There was definitely the hope that as soon as you introduced a set of sanctions, the economy would collapse, they'd run out of guns or exactly. ammunition, and it just hasn't seemed to happen. Um, and also this conflict has affected the global food chain. So Yes. Um Food prices were driven to a record high last year, 14% more than 2021, which is a lot. <laughs> that, is, that is a lot. Um, and then that, not just um, the agriculture side of that, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes out of Ukraine and Russia, um, but there's also the whole inflation crisis that we had going on as well and still have, obviously, going on, which is terrible and debilitating for so many people around the world. Um, I think it's really interesting to look at the effects of that conflict, which we always, I feel like when I think of war personally, the first thing I think about is like the human casualties, like the deaths, the people who are injured, who get their arms blown off or whatever, because that, to me that's the biggest effect of war. But also there are like the indirect things like the inflation thing because of the gas pipelines coming out of Russia that have been closed that have caused probably almost worse or equally as bad effects around the world, not just in those two countries, which is 
kind yeah. of devastating. Oh, absolutely. I know personally I'd I would think you know, well things happen in Australia they they mustn't be affected by a war that far away. Mm, exactly. They so they so are. Yeah, we seem so isolated over here. We but do. actually like petrol's still, you know, nearly two dollars a litre because there's not enough in the world. Exactly. I don't don't want to drive a car for that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so in April 22, uh, 2022, uh, Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, as we know, said that about Russia, lacking the strengths and courage to stand up to us on the battlefield, they are cynically destroying the civilian population. And the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guerres... Ooh. I should know how to say that. I definitely used to. Um, he said that the threat of nuclear conflict had returned for the first time in decades, which is like, oh, my God, are we going back to the Cold War? <laughs> yes, indeed. We did see there was a report about um, the US and Russia talking about limits on how much nuclear mm. weaponry they can have, which is quite scary because that that's powerful stuff we're dealing with. Yeah, like just kind of insane to think that actually there's a threat of nuclear conflict like today or tomorrow or you know in three days time it's like whoa okay <laughs> interesting terrifying but interesting um and so obviously not only european gas prices but european in particular have spiked because of the closure of the Nord Stream gas pipeline and um, Germany has done a whole lot of kind of saying, we're not going to take Russian gas, we're not going to take Russian oil and petrol and things, and then kind of continued and tried to phase it out, and that's just caused a lot of economic chaos over there. And, I mean, I think I read that right now the UK is, like, the most likely to be in a recession in some very large amount of time. Like, they're wow, just... Wow, that, that's It's incredible. chaos in yeah. Europe. Absolutely, and you understand where they're coming from when when Germany says things like we're not we're not going to take products from Russia, but the disruption to the mm. world order and is Germany's so huge. a huge country also. It is so like where else are you going to source that? How is somewhere else going to kind of make up that capacity that's been lost by Russia? Um, so in December 2022, we had Zelensky addressing the US Congress. I believe he... Didn't he address Australian Parliament as well? I believe like, so, yes. Yeah. It was definitely conversations with Australia. Yeah. I kind of forgot that happened until just then. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's been kind of addressing forums and parliaments all over the world to try and raise awareness and keep Ukraine in the public eye because, obviously, the news cycle, we like to just forget about things out of sight out of mind but i think he's really trying to keep it inside and in mind um and i thought it was so remarkable that joe biden visited a couple of weeks ago and no one heard anything about it until he arrived yeah i was like was how do you keep that so planning. quiet i know and someone so public yeah like i mean cliche but probably one of the most powerful people in the world just manages to fly across the world to a war zone and wander around in his big trench coat and sunnies i was like whoa <laughs> quite a picture yeah exactly and so we also had the kind of nato related consequences so finland and sweden have moved to accede to nato but the complication there as there always is um all the countries in nato have to vote on it um and approve that accession of those countries. So Hungary and Turkey are the two holdouts at the moment. Everywhere else in Europe, 
has voted and said, absolutely, you can come in. Um, Hungary's President Viktor Orban is notoriously aligned with Russia and he's quite a hard right sort of character. Um, and we've talked about him a few times last year. And Turkey is also having a bit of chaos politically um, and they're unlikely to do so before their elections in May. So it could be a pretty long process for, um, for Finland and Sweden which I feel like would be really tough politically in those countries for yeah. their, you know, President PM. The first time we heard talk of that, that feels so long ago Exactly. Now. And, like, NATO is a huge part of Europe, I feel like. Yeah, it's definitely it's significant. super important. And so they've been talking about getting there for so long and I feel like keeping the momentum in those countries would be so hard when it's like, we're not the problem. It's this other country that's, like, however many k's away, you know, thousands of kilometres yeah. in whatever direction is the actual thing that's stopping us. Yeah. So I also read a press release from the UK, Australian, Denmark and Jap- Japanese embassies um, on the anniversary of the war commemoration. Got to stop saying that. Um, where they had lit themselves up in yellow and blue, the Ukrainian flag. Um, a lot of cities had murals or projections someone dumped um yellow and blue paint i thought this was really quite a good thought outside the um russian embassy in london i believe um and then so on the road so it would spread around and then when cars drove through it they'd track it along however far you know the paint lasted wow so i thought that was a really good like kind of public stunt that is yeah yeah i mean good thing driving through paint yeah Feels feels quite exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like, the splashes of yellow and blue on the side of the car. Yes, yes. Yeah, and then, you know, we had kind of cultural things, like speeches and on TV or orchestras, you know, playing their sad, brooding, melancholy pieces before their regularly scheduled concerts. Um, do you think this is all just super symbolic and performative? Like, is kind of say the commemorative sad violin piece before your regular concert do you think that actually means anything i think it gives us a sense of uh, it's a reminder that something is still going on because i can't say that i didn't think it would have been somewhere around christmas is that still going on i haven't heard anything about that mm. in a long time and having having these and they are big stunts quote-unquote yeah but it's that that brings people to it people will see it people will see blue on their car or on the road and say oh oh that's that's there yeah and there were people out on um on the princess bridge across the river the other day when i was walking across at both ends yeah with signs little kids uh running around with signs saying i'm russian but i support ukraine i was like that's a but very important part of it. It's visible. Yeah. Like, I think it's important um, also. Where do you see it going? Like we talked at the start, you know, is it going to freeze? Is it just going to be Ukraine's this kind of disputed territory for the rest of time? Or oh, It does feel that way. Yeah. Particularly the way it sort of petered out in the, in the media. We haven't seen much until quite recently. Mm. I think it, it definitely threatens to be that way and we might end up... Russia hasn't shown any sign of complete stopping every time mm. we think it might. It just keeps going. 
Putin unfortunately continues. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Putin, do you think that does his presidency depend on the winning of this war? Do you think even if it becomes frozen or if they lose, does that mean he's out? I really have no idea. <laughs> it's a tricky question. <laughs> it, it could go either way. It, it could win the war and a lot of the Russian people would be so horrified mm. that I think his support has dropped amongst people who aren't supporting the war, definitely. Um, and you see, like you said, there are there are even children who understand that I am Russian, this isn't me saying this. Yeah. Um, and that that will affect affect him definitely but i mean is 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 he gonna win is there ever a winner in this yeah. sort of thing true will That's it get to so that point where it just it just stops or do we continue to worry about the threat of nuclear are other countries going to get involved yeah well i feel like in my view um and obviously this kind of has nothing to back it up but i feel like no one is going to win this war unless a big power gets involved like one of the p5 say in the un you know those countries with the huge military capacity china america uk maybe like i feel like we've heard a little bit lately about china possibly um being inclined to support russia i feel like i've seen read yeah, a lot of rumors a, about that there was an article about three reasons why it would yeah but also, we've been saying that for a year. We have been saying that for a very long People time. People have been worrying about China getting involved, and they haven't yet. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if they're biding their time or something, but I feel, for me, the only way with Russia's kind of... They are economically kind of devastated, but that's not going to stop them from fighting. So no. I feel like unless they kind of get a big boost of support, one side or the other, I Honestly, I think it might end up frozen, which is a terrible outcome for it is, it global is. security and world peace and everything. But realistically, yeah. it's possible. Do you think there's much likelihood that those those big powers aren't moving for the fear of a nuclear nuclear war? I definitely think that's in their consideration, 100%. I mean... You kind of never know what Putin's going to do next. So Absolutely. I feel like there's a lot of kind of treading very lightly. And that's probably why so many countries didn't take any action for so long. Um, and Or it took a long time for them to phase something out or even announce that they were going to. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's it's weird the concept of treading lightly around war. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't seem like a light. <laughs> yeah, a bit thing, of an oxymoron. So, so uncertain. We have no idea. Exactly. On that um, uplifting note, <laughs> we might go to a song now. Um, so. Welcome back to Represent here on SIN. So right now we're about to chat about the New South Wales state election. Naya, take it away. Alright, so yes, New South Wales is going to a state election on the 25th of March. That's less than a month away now. It's very, very exciting. Uh, we'll have New South Wales voting and we'll find out whether they continue with the Perrottet government. The particularly interesting uh, spot of news I've seen with this is talking about uh, housing and taxes around new home buyers. So the Perrottet government passed a scheme without 
of full labour support, which would give first home buyers the choice between stamp duty, which is an upfront payment on houses when, when they're bought, and it's calculated depending on the cost of the house, or they could pay an annual land tax when buying properties of up to $1.5 million. And it was known as the First Home Buyer Choice Legislation. But Labor has offered that for first home buyers, they would abolish stamp tax on properties up to $800,000, which is an increase because there has been uh, that policy on houses up to $650,000. And it's there, there's arguments either way. There is... Uh, evidence to say that the government, the New South Wales, and along with other ones, um, takes about one-fifth of their uh, revenue from tax from this, this tax, these, these stamp duties, and where are they going to get that from? But also, if you go and buy a house, say you've sold your house and you want to buy a house for the same price, you will have to somehow come up with this money out of pocket and so the question is, is it, is it going to be too complicated to remove this for first home buyers? Um, or are people going to say this is something we, we really, really want? And particularly for young people, we're seeing with inflation, housing prices are going up, the thought of having to, you've got your budget, but you actually have to grab some more money if you want to stick to that budget for houses. Yeah, it's tricky. And I mean, it's really hard to kind of know which one is best. I'm kind of confused myself just hearing this from you now. Um, so basically what you're saying, right, just correct me if I'm wrong, is stamp duty is like a one-off. but you One-off upfront payment? Yeah. So do you know how much it is when you buy your house? Is it like a proportion? Yes, of... there's, there's a proportion. Okay. And, so um, that would make it so... I know. Kind of add that degree of complexity. Imagine you're going in and you're like, I want to buy a $900,000 house. That's the, that's the range I'm in. I want that. But to then find that perfect house and go, oh, I now have more money I have to spend. Exactly. And it has to be upfront. Yeah. And so Lachlan has joined us in the studio after his work. Hello. Would you like to contribute to this discussion? <laughs> I, mean, I don't know if I'm equipped to contribute, actually. The work that I do, the one thing we're not allowed to talk about is money. Oh, So here we are talking about money, and it's like, I don't understand it. I mean, are any of us going to own a house? Ever. Ever. I oh, know. Realistically. No, I was reading, I think it was like a... 70% of young people don't believe they're going to be able to own a house anymore in Australia. Do you believe you are? I, think, oh, I, can't, I can't even pay my rent this week. Like, let's, let's sort that first. <laughs> what about you, Naya? Oh, I'm just going to wait for my parents to pay off the mortgage and then get that house. I'm, oh, I'm trying, okay. to, trying to angle into that one. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, I just, Inheritance. I'm trying to be my parents' favourite child. That'll be how I get a house. Good thinking. That's a really good plan. I think I'd be happy to move, move in and live with my brother if it meant I got the house and, and didn't have to deal with all of that. You'd make that sacrifice? Absolutely. <laughs> I love my brother. He's to great. To be a, house, a homeowner. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's really scary for mm. so many young people. Even just going into uni going, okay, money is becoming a big part of my life now and housing might become a big part of that. Mm. Yeah, and, the worry and then that that having to balance uni with work to pay the yeah. rent, like, it's a lot. It is so much. Yeah. And um, also, uni degrees are full-time, 
Or Absolutely. if you're doing it full time, yeah. then you're expected to work on top of that. Yeah, and somehow fund yourself to buy a house if, if you want to buy a house, but most most people will rent first anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, absolutely. And for the young people who are you know, turning 18 and voting, this will be something they're thinking about when when they vote in March. They'll be thinking, mm. you know, do, do I want to... Do I have to think about this? Do I want to own a house? Yeah, so put yourself in... Uh, New South Wales residents' shoes, um, which option would be more, like, sensible for you? I think, as, as a young person who would have to think about owning a house, the, the idea of, if I bought a house under $800,000, having none of that upfront payment, that's definitely preferable, but I would want to know where that tax money will come from. The, mm. the fear that, what happens if the government doesn't make that money that they have for public sectors we don't we don't want problems in the future with that Mm. so we need we need other parts of it to be considered and we need to hear about that definitely i mean it's kind of like pick your poison isn't it like we've got we've got stamp duty where that's like kind of you know people aren't encouraged to sell a house because oh you're hit with this big thing up front and then we've you know we're trying to make people sell their houses so more people can buy them yes so land tax is better in that well you're not at least discouraging transactions but then you're hit with this tax then for your whole life as opposed to yeah more to your mortgage exactly Mm. so i think that's why they did have you know they were considering that choice yeah but i mean it's not a particularly compelling choice either way is it no and they're big sums of money for young people to think about yeah and i also think it's tricky like it's it's like your hex debt. You know, you can pay it off early and you kind of don't have to worry about it again. But then that's like a lot of money. Like, that is a heap of cash that's yeah, gone. It, it's huge. Um, and is it better to just, you know, kind of hang on to that cash for as long as you can until obviously until you're earning enough and you have to start paying it back? Yeah. It's, you're always the trade off. There's kind of no winners. No, there, there definitely isn't in that sense. And there's that fear people will start choosing between will I buy a house or will I do something else with that money? Mm, exactly. Well, look, the good news, for, you know, for us, especially with our hex debts as journal students, is, you know, we don't have to pay them off because we'll never make enough money to do that. <laughs> hey, not all of us are journalism students. That's yeah. true. That's I'm actually true. Bridie, a music student. Bridie um, has and I'm actually going to earn less. Bright future <laughs> Realistically, yes. Wow. We're all gonna we're gonna be swimming in money. Yeah. Oh yeah. Swimming in money. <laughs> Just you wait. Soon it'll become a hotbed for rich people. Right. <laughs> um, so I can see you've got some questions written down. Ask us your questions. Oh, they, these were just things things to consider. But um, I mean, in con- in terms of young people, it's definitely we're talking about first home buyers often. Um, well done to you if you are a young person buying your second or third home. Yeah. That is amazing. I, I actually have a, a friend who is a year younger than me. She's a landlord. What? Wow. Yes. Wow. Actually, my cousin, who is, to be fair, 10 years older than me, um, is thinking about or planning to become a landlord. So Yeah. I but mean, that's yeah, nearly that's, 30. That's, so. I, I wanted to say it works for her, but it, it's it's not really working out for her, actually. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. No, she bought, she bought the house with her ex. 
Oh, dear. So, great idea at the time. Yeah. Now, a little bit of a, yeah. Bit of a problem. Bit of a problem. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, but that's, that's always an idea. Yeah. You want to buy a house? Get a partner. Absolutely. <laughs> Hope they're rich. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's talk about whether the the point of removing any stamp duty would be for people who are moving between houses when you sell up and supposedly you might sell up wanting to spend this extra bit of money you've put aside getting a house that's bigger and better. But that extra bit of money that you've put aside is going to have to go towards this this stamp duty if you're not a first home buyer. Yeah. So are we are we preventing some people from getting the benefit or really should it just be first home buyers should it be an incentive for people to be buying houses? Well, that's a great question. I reckon actually first home buyers obviously it's so important and I think the once I feel like once you get a foot in the door it's so much easier to take those next steps of buying your yeah. second home, upsizing, whatever you want to call it. A bit of security, you've got exactly. a house. Exactly. And like exactly. You've got the house, you've got somewhere to live and like there's less on your plate. I kind of lean towards the first home buyer incentive personally because, you know, to get into that market is so hard. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. to have once you've bought a house you have an asset. You've exactly. got it with you. Exactly. Yeah, so that would be where I would end up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. one day, one day. One day, dream, one day. Yeah, I say that as if it's going to be happening imminently, and we've it's all totally a, not. Yeah, we've all got a dream home. <laughs> it's on home. the bucket list for this year. We'll get it exactly. done. Yes, oh, absolutely. All right, well, we might leave that segment there. Um, we are going to go into a song now. You are back on Represent on Sin. That was Better by Quinny. Um, now, Lachlan is going to chat to us about what happened at Mardi Gras in Sydney on the weekend. What happened at Mardi Gras? I mean, always always, always some drama. Happen. Always <laughs> things happen at Mardi Gras. But this was... Um, I mean, look, there's, there, was, there was good news over the weekend. There was some not-so-good news over the weekend. So let's start with the good news. Always let's good let's lift go. up our spirits after we've learned that we're never going to be able to own a home. And, um, <laughs> and that there's a year-long war in Ukraine. <laughs> and, that, I mean, yeah, a bit of a, bit of a depressing show. Yeah, so it's not great, actually. The good news is that over the weekend we had the 45th Mardi Gras. Um, so originally it was it was a protest, right, against, you know, the criminalisation of um, queer people, people in the LGBT plus community. And... Um, so over right nearly nearly 50 years it's gone from this really counterculture one-off protest to an annual tradition with so much widespread support to the point where we now have in sydney it's not just regular pride no 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 it's world pride and um the prime minister goes to the parade yes well apparently he'd been going for a while i heard that 35 years or something really but yeah. the first time that a sitting prime minister was there ah uh, okay yeah so just just part of his regular thing but absolutely yeah, as one it's does. what <laughs> yeah what a you know a major milestone right that yeah. we have the prime minister also kind of marching in solidarity so mm. a lot of a lot of progress being made in terms of you know having um you know, having that institutional support with the, the federal government, Anthony Albanese, but also even the New South Wales government, you know, with World Pride happening in in Sydney, you know, they're also providing some support there because it's bringing in all of this tourism and they're having a human rights conference 
um, which will be very, very interesting to see how that develops. We might talk about that on next week's show, possibly. Planning ahead. Well, yeah, we are. Just having a little <laughs> on-air production meeting here. Yeah. But, unfortunately... All of this good news, all the great... I mean, also, it's it's all on the ABC as well. Um, mm. A concert. Um, I actually for free, like free to air. I feel like that's quite well, a it was, well, it was on also. It was on SBS, but mm. in terms of, like, the ABC, it's a lot more mainstream. National broadcaster. Right, exactly. So, I actually, my, my parents um, rang me on Saturday. <laughs> they were like, oh, did you see the concert? It was really good. We fell asleep before Kylie. I was like, I fell asleep at 5pm. I was up at like 4 in the morning. I have not seen the concert. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my boomer You're parents... You're behind on the news. I actually am. My boomer parents, with with all due respect, but my boomer parents are more up with the, <laughs> you know, with the, with the current events that I was. So, yeah, I need to be a better ally, I think. Yeah, um, how dare you. But yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately then we had Saturday night, and there was a little bit of controversy, right, with um, with Lydia Thorpe, as we were discussing last, last week. Last week also. Look, she's an individual. She, she stands up for and what she, she believes in. Exactly. And we she's said... She's got we, integrity. She does. She does. Exactly. We said on this very show that a lot of the times it's the opposite problem, right, where we have... Um, no, we were talking about how, you know, we have politicians where they don't stand up for what they believe in, and they'll just kind of lie... Or not, not lie, but, you know, they'll, they'll twist the truth and they'll just... Yeah, they don't really have principles. This is someone who does have principles. However, the way in which she displayed those principles um, has some people a little bit offside. Mm-hmm. So, the context here, Lydia thought she was part of the Pride in Protest float um, in the Mardi Gras, and so that was... Um, more dealing with issues in terms of, you know, um, queer people who are Indigenous, so that intersection um, with their identities, because they've also been, you know, persecuted um, quite quite uniquely, mm. right? And so, it, and so that's a very important initiative to have. Unfortunately, Lydia then went, you know, she went on a bit of a wonder, and she left that float, and she ended up in front of a, a different float, and chose to lie down on the ground to to stop the parade, and this was a protest against, you know, the police the police brutality and the continued, you know, criminalisation there. Because there was a float in Pride, the Australian Federal Police, they had a float. Now, before we get to Lydia, I think it's worth talking about police at Pride because mm. there's a bit of a fraught relationship there. Definitely right. The original Pride, um, or the original Mardi Gras. That was a protest against the police. They were all rounded up and arrested. And then um, they're called the 78ers. All their names were published in the Sydney Morning Herald. Right. And so that is very much the origin. So there's always going to be a very fraught relationship there, even with, you know, the Victorian police marching at midsummer. Mm. And, you know, there was there was some kind of a bit of a bit of consternation there around like, should they be allowed to do that? Because you have like with the Victorian police especially, you know, a quite recent case of discrimination when they had, you know, Danny Laidley, mm. former AFL coach in custody, and then they leaked her photos to the newspapers and that's how she was outed. That was not, you know, in the 70s no, or the 80s. That was, like that was two or three years ago. Yeah, that was incredibly recent. So I understand why some people would go, do police belong here? No, because they need to do the work. They need to actually reconcile the past with, you know, any display at Pride and at Mardi Gras currently. 
Yeah, I totally agree. I think that there's such a, like you said, a fraught relationship, kind of almost completely head-to-head. Like, their objectives for so long were completely opposite to each other, pride marches and the police. It's so hard to reconcile. But also, I'm to be the devil's advocate. I'm sure that there are queer people in the police force. Well, they were they were gay police women. Exactly on the float. I'm sure would want to march in pride to represent their identity and the job that they've probably dedicated a lot of their life to. Mm, but should they be able to march in uniform? That's a broader exactly. question that we're not yeah. going to you know we're not going to answer in an hour of radio. Definitely not. Absolutely not. But absolutely, there's that argument, right? That it's gone from this really niche counterculture protest you know, movement to one where it does have a lot of institutional acceptance. It's on a major free-to-air broadcaster that people watch. No offence, SBS. <laughs> it is, you know, you've got the Prime Minister, a sitting Prime Minister, marching in pride. And we have, you know, same-sex marriage passed. There is more progress that needs to be made. But there's certainly, it's certainly a completely different environment from in the 70s when Pride, you know, in Mardi Gras originally started, where you know, the majority of the community was against this community. Now, the majority of the community would be in support, and that's how they voted in 2017. And so in that case, you know, is the, you know, it's now a mature movement. I mean, even World Pride has a CEO, Mm. right? This is very much, it's where they've gone, they've gone full corporate. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So does that mean that there needs to be a change in approach? I don't know. Yeah. And back yeah. to Lydia Thorpe, I think back it's so tricky to know whether what she did is right or wrong, or like, I mean, whether it's even worth kind of deciding one way or the other, because mm. standing up for your principles, you know, obviously, I believe in that, most people do believe in that, but when you watch the videos of her lying down, stopping the parade, the crowd just goes silent around it and stops dancing. Do you, you hear some of them booing her? Yeah, it's just like so why did this have to be the way you did this? Yeah. So a little a little more context um, around that, which may help people reach a bit of a, a bit of a conclusion. Um, the float that she was lying down in front of, so she was protesting the the you know Australian Federal Police being at, at the Mardi Gras. What float do you think she was lying down in front of? Was it not the police? No, it was a youth services organisation. Mm. So she got the wrong float, oh, which doesn't yeah. really help her case. No. Also, I think there's something to be said around that, you know, the float that she was with on Twitter fully backs Lydia, fully goes, mm-hmm. that is why she was here. She's here because she's a change maker. She's here because she's a, you know, a tireless advocate for the causes that she believes in. And that is, you know, whether you agree or disagree with Lydia... You can't say that she is not a tireless advocate, right? She's always giving 100% to what she believes in. But none of those people were lying down with her Mm. on the street. It was just Lydia who'd made that sole choice. And that meant that the whole parade was stopped, not just this one float that she had an issue with. So in that case, the question is, was she enabling the organisers, the grassroots organisers who she was there to support? Or was she disabling them from continuing the parade and spreading their message? And that's a question that's very big. It's huge. Too big for us. Definitely. <laughs> but I think it's a question worth asking. Because mm. certainly it would go away to what's explaining why, you know, there was a lot of, 
you know, that's why it is a controversy because it's a difficult question. Yeah. You've got people who fully back Lydia, people who don't, oftentimes within the same community with the same values, but it's just this one thing where it's very difficult to reach a consensus. It is really, it's definitely a tricky issue. Um, I think we might leave that there and actually wrap up the show. A little food for thought to leave Yeah, you. exactly. Something to reflect and ruminate yeah. on. Send your answer to SinRepresent exactly. on, on Twitter. <laughs> That's a great segue to plug our socials. So we're going to be more active on the socials this year, we promise. You can keep up to date and let us know what you thought um, on our socials. So at SinRepresent on Twitter and on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in to Represent here on Sin. We've been your hosts, Lachlan, Naya and Bridie. If you want to hear this rep, uh, this episode again or catch up on any of our old episodes, you can find our podcast on Omni, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts at Represent. And remember to stay political. You've been listening to a Sin Media Podcast where young people run the show. Come on.